Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Is it September yet? Well, actually, it is almost September. We got two days away from the drop of this cast. What's up, y'all? Bringing on Sam Davis out of Wyoming for today's podcast. Total blue collar stud. We're talking this dude... Uh, manages a ranch, has killed lots of bulls, basically grew up with a dad who was an elk guide. I mean, has no learning curve. His learning curve started at two, so he's just a wealth of knowledge for his age, and he's just got a lot of energy. He works really hard, not only in hunting, but just in family and discipline and training, and he's a leader there at the ranch. He's got a lot of people that depend on him, so he has influence. And he came on today to just drop knowledge and get through quite a few awesome stories. He's killed a lot of cool animals with a bow, and he's really dedicated and just awesome interview. You guys are going to love this one. If you don't, follow him on Instagram. You should. Leave a link in the show notes so you can find him or track this dude down. Some of you probably already do. Check out his YouTube channel. It's super underrated. It's got a lot of resources there, and you can see all about Wyoming general hunts and some specific uh, moose hunts, and he's, well, you guys, I can't spoil the episode, but let's get to the quick end of elk shape. So September's almost here. That's right. And you want to rep some elk shape swag in camp, check out our elk shape camp t-shirts. We also have the elk shape podcast, light cotton. That's actually a tri-blend hoodie. Super comfortable for back at base camp. And you got to rep the brand. So do that. We got decals and stickers and a whole bunch of other stuff in the programs that we offer. It might be too late to get involved with 21 days to elk shape. But if you are a rifle guy, 
and October's when you're going, then get on 21 Days right away. Program's on there. You can check it out. We have the online version of Elk Shape Camp, and we got, I think, a couple more weeks left of the early bird pricing for the first of six Elk Shape Camps. We're not doing them all in Spokane this year or in 2020. We're actually only going to do the first one in Spokane, and then we're going to be going all over Texas, Seattle, Vancouver, Washington, Wisconsin, Colorado, Texas. I mean, it's going to be cool. So if that's you, you want to reach out to me. If you want an elk shape camp in your hood, you better hurry up because we're going to book those up. And I can't do more than probably eight. Honestly, I got to stay married and I'm gone enough as it is hunting. But I want to do these camps more and more. They're really exciting. They're not only about just killing elk, guys. They're about really getting your life catapulted in the right direction when it comes to your fitness and your nutrition and working towards your dreams and aspirations, goal setting, delayed gratification, financial fitness, we call it fiscal fitness, elk calling, elk tactics, all your questions, backcountry gear dump, all that kind of stuff. So if you can't make a real one, at least do the online one. It's loaded with a video vault that you can't even digest all those videos in a year. So yeah, that's what we got going on. Discount codes for those doing their last minute shopping. Let's we'll start with my my homies at Kenetrek Boots, Bozeman, Montana guys. Uh, $25 off gators. Put elk shape in the checkout for your discount code. Get $25 off your gators. Get gators. You're going to need them. E-bike last minute impulse buyers. Backcountry e-bikes. Use discount code elk shape 300. Save 300 bucks and go long distances behind locked gates legally. Off-Grid Food Co., if they got any food available, it'll be on Wednesday nights at 5.30 p.m. Spencer is a solid dude. Hooked us up with 10% off. Use the code ELKSHAPE2019. That is the same code for Siberian Coolers. Get yourself at least the Alpha 85 quart and maybe get two. Better than the Y brand. And I'm actually going to get probably one more Siberian little cooler uh, just for some of the drinks and stuff to keep cold. But Looking forward to putting some elk meat in there as well as putting some elk meat in some caribou game bags. This code's going to expire soon too, so if you need game bags, go ahead and look those guys up and look for the Wapiti package. That's what I recommend. You can use this code on any package, but get the, the Wapiti pack. Elk Shape will give you 15% off, so do that. Corey Jacobson's University of Elk Hunting, 20% off using the code Elk Shape. You might want to download his audio version of the university and just have it on speed dial when you're in your truck driving from hunt to hunt or going just heading to the trailhead in the mornings or wherever uh put it in your uh maybe midday pull out your phone plug in some earbuds and just listen to man what should i do in this scenario or that uh on x hunt i assume you all have this by now if you don't get on it and don't forget to download your maps i just was antelope scouting uh, a couple weeks back and i got a new phone and i didn't save my maps from the years prior so I went down there without maps and I hated myself. I still had my uh, waypoints but I didn't have my maps downloaded and the cell phone service wasn't great. So pre-download for off-grid mode. Use code ElkShape, get 20% off. That's what I got. Let's get to it, Sam Davis. Let's drop some knowledge bombs and guys, if you don't hear from me and I don't hear from you, take advantage of September. It comes around one time a year it's very short. Don't waste a second. Give every day everything you got and have no regrets when October gets here. Well, we are recording. We are sitting down with Sam Davis out of Wyoming, and we've never met before. We've never even talked before. 
So you guys are going to get this just straight up raw. Sam, I know nothing about you um, other than what I've seen on Instagram. And somebody suggested that I bring you on. And they messaged me and I was like, well, tell me a little bit about him. And they're like, just a blue collar killer. You got to Like, he's just real, the real deal. You got to get him on. So I was like, okay. And I messaged you and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that was cool. Uh, yeah, it was a good buddy of mine. He got a hold of me. He goes, Hey, I threw a message to Dan Elk, at Elk Shape. And he goes, I thought you'd be the perfect one. It's a good buddy of mine. I work out with him a bunch in the fall and stuff. And he's a good hunter himself. And he's a, he's a pro rodeo guy anyways. Yeah. He's like, he messaged me that told me that. And then literally it was like an hour later and you hit me up. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. Your, your podcast, I follow up quite a bit. I look up to your values and everything you do. And, uh, try to live my life kind of in that same aspect of uh, work hard and really family first. And then it's the hunting woods. Like that's, uh, I always joke and I always say I work so that I can hunt. It's kind of been my whole motto forever. And then family gets involved and you got to take care of that family. I got a little girl and I got a wife and uh, they keep me busy. And that's, it's the season right now. We've been at weddings, we've been camping, we've been at archer shoots and playing in sprinklers and family first, man. That's kind of how I roll. I like how you roll, dude. That's legit. Uh, so you are where in Wyoming are you? Um, North Central Wyoming, Sheridan, Wyoming, right on the right on the face of the Bighorn Mountains. Oh yeah, I've heard there's some elk there. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, but yeah, there's a few elk around. I'm uh, been very lucky to grow up in Sheridan. I'm born and raised in Sheridan. My dad was a a guide my whole life, so I've been around hunting since the word go. Um, and yeah, Sheridan's like the best of the best that we got it all from 10,000 foot, 13,000 foot peaks to sagebrush bulls to you name it, cedars and junipers and big pines and sagebrush. Yeah. And then you can go to the Western part of the state and we're very lucky here. I mean, we don't have it like you do where we get two elk tags, but two bull tags, but yeah, we, we can hunt it all from antelope to mule deer to elk. And I try to get every bit of it. I can dude. Plus you're so close to Montana general. Yes. Yeah. We hunt, I've hunted Montana probably, I think four times, four or five times I've went up there and hunted elk. So yeah, exactly. We're 25 miles from the border. Dude, that's legit. And you, I mean, with Sheridan having, I mean, you got everything at your fingertips. I got to know, like, before we get into your background, what is your flavor, man? Like, are you into that Alpine or you want to go chase those desert bulls? Like, what do you like? Where do you end up going after elk? I would say, you know, I, to be honest with you, it's wherever I get the tag. I'm not one of those guys that goes and chases the, you know, 20% draw draws. In Wyoming, we're very lucky. There's some draw odds that are like 95% or general, and they're just as good. It's just where you want to go. And so it depends. I put in this year, I put in for an area that she's like that 98%. I was the 2% that didn't draw. But anyways, <laughs> it's... <laughs> But uh, it'll be general, so I'll be doing everything from the Alpine to the city. I really like sagebrush. Honest with you, I spent a lot of time growing up. My dad was a big deer and antelope guide out in the sagebrush, and, and there was always elk out there. And I love the aspect of the glassing and the run and gun. Um, I love spot and stalking them. I've called in, you know, quite a few bulls, but I like spot and stalking those bulls. It's uh, it's something I really enjoy. So sagebrush is my thing, but it's I, I'm just like you. It's hard to get away from those aspens and that deep sagebrush in the mountains and the cool springs and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. I would say sagebrush, open country, lowland stuff is probably my favorite, but I do, I, I don't know. I like the mountains, but. <laughs> I know. So sagebrush bulls, man, like they're, they're tricky. Like they're usually bigger herds and 
trying to guess where they're going to go and I mean, getting in on tight, they're, they're, it's wide open. So where do these animals bed? Let's start there. Well, let's start there. All right. So, like, they're going to act a lot like a mature mule deer buck. Um, the thing is that's a little bit different is, I mean, it'll be – some of the stuff that I hunt is a- absolutely wide open sagebrush and no ponderosas, and it'll just be very, very sparse cedars and or juniper trees, whatever you want to call them, on the north-facing slopes, and they're usually, like – you know, those trees don't grow all the way up out of those because they're steep draws, steep draws, canyons. You know, they might be 500-foot elevation drop is all. And um, the cedar trees only grow about halfway from the bottom, the coolest, about halfway up the hill. Then they start getting really sparse. Seems like those cows and those calves will always be right close to the bottom. And the higher up the hill you get, then you'll get to where those bulls, they'll kind of pick one of those cedar trees that's just about to the top where the last little bit of cedar trees are where they can kind of look over their harem. Yep. North slopes. Um, you know, within, and that's the thing, I think, you know, this too, from your Nevada stuff, I mean, those elk will travel two miles easy for water. So it's not like you can just go around water post up. And I mean, I don't even, I find water when I'm scouting, like that's what I was actually just doing when I was waiting for you to call was I was on on X, um, always looking for water just kind of as like a rule of thumb, but man, they cover so many miles to go water. So it's a good rule of thumb, but North facing slopes, look for the cedars and junipers, Halfway up those hills, those bulls will be set up in the shade, just resting it out. And then they'll roll. You know, there's always benches and just like in t- just anything like timber bulls. Then there's a bench. There's elk. They like to feed on those benches. That's kind of kind of my jam there. When they get on those benches, I slide down in and stock them just like a mule deer. Then coming from the top and try and get behind them and get an arrow in them. Sneak by a few cows and uh, yeah. make it happen. And then when feeding do they actually have any ag ground nearby or is it like they're straight up eating the desert grass where i'm at there's pure desert grass there's no alfalfa anywhere i mean you're 30 25 miles from alfalfa rattlesnakes yay or nay uh, yeah yeah lots of rattlesnakes yeah rattlesnakes city (laughs) everywhere out there just careful everybody talks about tripods I roll that video. I do a lot of self filming, and I roll with a lo- or carbon fiber leg tripods because I've killed more snakes with my tripod while sneaking, and I've ruined like a good slick tripod with aluminum legs. Bent the hell, legs. couldn't even shut it anymore. I've done that two times, so now I run all carbon fiber, not because it's lightweight, it's so I can smack a snake when I'm <laughs> sneaking, and it won't bend the legs on it. <laughs> Dude, I'm out, man. I just I'm such a wuss on on rattlesnakes. You know, I used to catch snakes as a kid, and now I'm just like grown into a wuss but you know i hunt the desert a lot i've hunted arizona nevada and, and then a lot of idaho's got rattlesnakes and even not too far from my house is rattlesnakes but i just i don't really have that many encounters with them i'm just not into it but the last thing i want to hear is that hiss when i'm trying to sneak in on a bull dude it's just like what is this yeah. <laughs> and then you got antelope mixed in with your elk like sir are you having those guys maybe picking you off or like or other mule deer or is it just straight up elk it's everything. It's mule deer, elk, and antelope. So, I mean, a lot of the spots where I'm hunting, it's general elk, it's over-the-counter elk, and over-the-counter mule deer. So you got a deer and elk tag in your pocket, and you're kind of just taking what's available, you know? Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Definitely. And then where the big, you know, there'll be big flats, a big ridge will break off, and then there'll be a big 500-yard sagebrush flat, and that'll have a buck antelope standing out in it. So, you know, you can get away with that movement. As long as those antelope are out there at five or 600 yards, they'll do that. They'll be blowing at you. It might alert those elk for, for instance, I had this happen to me a couple of years ago. 
I had a bunch of elk. And the lead cow, a couple of those cows kept watching this buck because he had me pegged. This buck antelope had me pegged. But after, you know, just that sitting there and that antelope just blew and blew and blew forever, those elk finally just went back to feeding. I mean, obviously it wasn't 150 yards and I blew it, ran it right through him. He was out there, just his good eyesight was watching me. But yeah, you're definitely having to sneak around a little bit of everything getting in on the open country elk. But at least you usually can see everything, you know, like before I plan any stock or I do anything on that country, I'm really glass it really 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 glass it over first and then figure out my approach before i just bomb in there yeah that makes sense all right man so you you grew up with a dad who's a guide not fair and you're in wyoming literally my favorite state to hunt probably (laughs) i mean it's a toss-up but wyoming and montana just they seem to do it right and you have right you have a wyoming tag right I do, and I'm so stoked to come down, man. It's been a long time coming. I hunted there in 2007, and I haven't been back since for um, elk. I've been I've been down there, obviously, uh, pronghorn, and I've driven through there so many times going to Colorado or other states, but it is such a sweet state. There's just not a lot of people yet. I know I'm sure it's growing, but uh, I don't know, man. I just think you guys do it right, like even – you're not super stingy with your tags to non-residents, but you're not like over generous. Like I think Idaho and Colorado are a little over generous. Like I think they sell a lot of tags and I don't know. That's how they make their money, but you guys seem to do it right. And I don't know. I think that's one of the best States out there for any animal that you want to hunt, but specifically elk, I think they just do it right. And I think their general tag is so legitimate. And the fact that you can bounce all around, like Montana, I love that program, you know, and so for those listening, there's no like over-the-counter tags for the most part in Wyoming. You can't just go pick one up at Walmart and go, which to me is awesome because you kind of have to, you got to be in the game a little bit and have some skin in the game and, yeah. and, and you know, the the only thing I don't like about Wyoming is that non-resident rule in the wildernesses. That's the only thing I just can't wrap my mind around. That is a tough one. I do get that. I mean, look, obviously, luckily, I'm the resident, but I do I do see your point where it does kind of – because I've been in some really good places, and if a guy could set foot in that wilderness, yeah, I, I'm going to be the first I'll, – I'll be one of the guys that will tell you. There's a one of the guys that aren't going to want me to say this, but, yeah, you would have a little better advantage in some general units. I've been in – I've been in bulls definitely where it would help a non-resident out for sure. Oh, for certain. And, you know, there's always elk outside the wilderness, but – the bottom line is as soon as you put your weapon away and you grab a fishing pole or just uh, a hiking stick, you can go yeah. into the wilderness. I mean, yeah. come on, man. Like there's politics involved and uh, I don't know. We have to even go down that hole. But uh, let's talk about you as a family man first and foremost. I want to know how old you are. I want to know what you do for work and tell me about your family and kind of how you balance things out, man. All right. Um, 34 years old. I've, uh, I got a wife. I got a 20-month-old little girl. And uh, I work on a ranch and I've worked on this ranch. It's a family owned operation. And I've worked on this ranch since I graduated high school. Uh, I was going to college part time and uh, they ended up hiring me right out of school. So I've been there going on 17 years. So it's been one of those places that's just really good to me, good family to work for. And so with that, I've I've got a lot of vacation built up. People always wonder like how you do it. And the trick is, is if you don't work for yourself, you might as well work for someone that treats you good. And I got four weeks paid vacation. So 
I balance that in with around my weekends through September, and that's how I get the time to go do what I do. Um, so, yeah, that's the family. That's my job. 34 years old, born and raised in Sheridan. That's just it. Um, my spare time, my hunting money, like you always stress, is get an extra job or find extra money. My, my best friend and hunting partner, he has his own construction business. So in the evenings, I pound nails for him. The weekends, we pound nails, pour concrete, whatever we need to do there. And that's the, that's the hunting fund right there. That's the extra that's the extra money to put in the bank to, for the fuel and the food. And that's, that's kind of how we roll. Um, my wife works for a dental office and she bow hunts too. We've been together three years and three years married. And she picked up a bow that first fall we were married and she stuck a bull her first year. She stuck a big six by seven, got really lucky. And she's killed a bull the last two years on opening day back to back. So she's killed, she's three for three on her first three years of hunting. She's, is she um, at home tonight? Because I think I'd rather talk to her. <laughs> she just, we just put the little girl to bed. And she goes to the gym. She goes and works out as soon as we put the little girl. She just left the house to go to the gym. So she's at the gym working out. Right I, I Dude, your wife is so cool. I mean, shout out to – so who recommended you to the podcast? I can't remember, man, honestly. He's a kid. He's, his name is Devin Riley. He worked for me on – I ran the fencing crew. So I, we built a bunch of – this ranch has a bunch of fence. And I, I ran the fencing crew for a lot of summers. And – he was a younger guy that worked underneath you for like five summers. And then he went on to ride pro barebacks and he has his own podcast where he does his own thing with, uh, he has soldiers on, he has rodeo guys on and he's a big hunter. His dad's a very well-known sheep guide. And so Devin is a hell of a hunter. I mean himself. And so he just, I told him he needed to start listening to your podcast cause he's a very driven individual. He's He's a go-getter like you. I mean, his attitude is reminded the way you talk. I was like, Devin, you need to listen to this Dan guy. He is on point when it comes to put your mind to it. You can do anything. And that's how this kid is. I mean, he's a uh, – so it was cool. He just messaged you because we work out. We guide hunters in the fall. So when I'm not bow hunting, I, I guide from all through rifle season, October, November, I guide. And we guide together. So through guide season, we work out every day during lunch or work out at night together. So we're, we're always giving each other a hard time. We push each other. And he's just a, he's a super motivated guy. And he's the guy that, uh, that sent you the message. Well, Devin, if you are listening, message me your address. I'm sending you some swag. Because, Sam, you and I are like buds already. I can just tell, man, we're cut from the same cloth. You are a get-after-it kind of guy. And um, it just seems like you got so many things going on, yet you still balance family first. That's legit. And then the fact that you're pounding nails and pouring concrete and doing construction work after a long day at a ranch, you don't sit around at a ranch and like sip on iced tea, dude. You're up early, you're working, there's livestock, there's animals, always fenced to, you know, repair, whatever. There's, I act like I know what you guys do to ranch, but I mean, I've been on around enough ranches to know that, you know, how many, uh, you guys run cattle? Yeah, there's cows. Um, I don't know, 750 head of mother cows on there. Oh my gosh! So, when's your guys's calving season typically? Uh, we just moved it. The last couple of winters have been pretty rough on us. We used to start heifers would start February 15th, so right there about Valentine's Day, you'd start with the young ones, the ones that need the assistance, and then the mother cows would start March 1st. So, we'd be all wrapped up by about the first of May and rebranding by about the first of May. Right. But now we're up just a little bit man these last couple winters have been uh they've hit us right in the mouth so we've backed it up about 20 days this year okay and geez i mean how many bulls do you guys keep on the ranch oh there's gonna be 30 35 40 head of bulls on there yeah okay 
Is this a, this is a family operated business? So how long have they been in business? They have this family that owns it now. This this ranch is these ranches. It's two ranches. These ranches have been around for a long time. Um, but the family that owns it now, they've had it for since two thousand. The fall of two thousand, they purchased this place. So, are you a- in a position to work into some ownership shares or potentially have first right of refusal and buy this thing and own it and operate it and duplicate yourself, scale it? <laughs> is that anything that you've thought about? No, sir. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not like that. It's a. It's a family, and they're passing it on. There's three generations that are moving on to the second slash third generation right now. Gotcha. And they use it as more of a. They use it to hunt. They bring a lot of their guests in and their family in, and they do a lot of hunting on it themselves and fishing. And it's kind of used as a leisure, a leisure place for them to come up and relax. And the cow part of it is just their side operation. Yeah, I'm sure it pays some bills too, and. Uh, yeah. keeps the overhead down and um, why not? So, dude, you a rancher and then you do know how to do construction and then your dad was a guide. So we got to get into that. Your dad was a guide. Like, you know, it's like my son's first word was bull and I'm <laughs> brainwashing him as much as possible. I'm always showing him elk videos and clips and bugling at him and trying, like he's only three, but I'm just like, I didn't have that. Like my dad wasn't an elk hunter. He was just a deer hunter that I got into elk hunting when I got into, I just got into it. Thank God. So what's it like growing up with like a mentor like that who can literally teach you all the hidden gems? You know, it's a, you know, as far as bow hunting, dad wasn't a bow hunter. So everything was rifle hunting, but I think that I, yeah, you always have guys on here and you ask about the learning curve and man, I think that I was, I don't even know if I, really had a learning curve just because I don't know any different and that I'm not trying to sound arrogant at all no that's me being the kid my dad had me in a backpack at two and a half years old um had me on a horse in camp taking in hunting camp not not elk hunting but he had me on a horse at like three years old and he had diapers and chocolate milk while we were going to set wall tents up getting ready for hunting season um I've been around elk if you look in pictures I'm standing in the back of horse trailers on top of you know bull elk right before I the age I mean so I was born in December so I'm 11 months old because it would have been November so I'm 11 months old standing holding elk horns on dead bulls in the back of trucks and in horse trailers and my dad wouldn't let me go on a legit elk hunt because he did everything horseback when he went by himself um until I was six or seven and then then it was on so looking back like I I feel very fortunate I see all these guys and you hear the stories the guys you have on here and you have this I mean, your elk-shaped camp, and I've watched these testimonials, these guys you interview and stuff, and it's cool that how much they're into it just from listening to guys like you and seeing stuff on Facebook and Instagram. And then I just look back, and I'm like, gosh, I was so lucky. I mean, everything from – I can tell you when I'm walking through the sagebrush, I remember I'd be wearing an orange hat, and I would jump over the sagebrush. So I, was a little, I remember little things like Dad always saying, don't jump. Don't jump over the sagebrush. I mean, walking through the timber, being horseback, going through timber elk hunting. Don't or always check your back trail. Always check your back trail. Always when we're going quiet. Always look behind you. Make sure you check your back trail. Elk will sneak behind you. And then if you're in timber, get low. Get low and look for legs. Be quiet. Get low. Look for legs. I remember those are key key things. I remember when I was, I couldn't have been five or six, you know. And Dad was telling me all that stuff, so I was learning that stuff. And I didn't even know I was learning it, you know. I was just like, "Geez, Dad, you know, you're almost rolling your eyes at six, going, come on, Dad, I know that I'm supposed to look under the trees, you know.' But now looking back, it's like wow I was the whole time he was just molding me and I didn't even didn't even realize it so now 
when I did pick up a bow and I did start bow hunting, I mean, that's all I do. I'm just like you guys, everything's, everything's bow hunting and has been since I was 15. So it's, uh, it's one of those things that you didn't even, I didn't realize I was learning it until I had the bow in my hand and I was hunting and I was by myself on my first elk and it was, uh, pretty awesome. I mean, just the, I shot a cow at about three yards. Oh, really? Yeah. I just, uh, she, I got on her trail. It was that football game Friday night. We head up the mountain Saturday. I went with my buddy and his dad. My my dad was guiding, so I went with my buddy and his dad, and they split off and went up a ridge, and I took off down in the timber, and the elk were coming through the timber, and I could hear them, and I got low. Like Dad said, I could see their legs all coming to me, and I just set up, and I, I'll never forget. I looked, and I was on a trail, <laughs> and you know how it is. You're on a trail, and you look up, and you realize they're on the same trail, so you just kind of sit there, and I just drew back, and I drew back way too early, but anyways, <laughs> drew back. This cow walks up, and the only thing that stopped her from walking over the top of me is there was a root ball. A tree had tipped up, and she dipped down to go underneath it and turned left, and I stuck her. I think my arrow had just came off the string, and then it was in her, you know, and she ran about five steps and fell over, and I was like, I've been elk hunting for like 17 minutes, and I just killed an elk. <laughs> and then to top it off, I whistle up my butt, and he runs down the hill. I, we, it was about 30 minutes. And I back trail a little bit and I whistle and I get their attention. So I guess I wasn't by myself, by myself, but the shot, everything, the stock, all that is by myself. My buddy comes down, we're sitting there visiting a five by five bull walks and he shoots it. That was our first hour of elk hunting with our bows ever. And that was how, that's how I started when I was 16 years old right there. Hooked. Oh my gosh. That's unreal. Oh. And then you guys got two dead elk. You're 16. Uh, do you got, I mean, do you got stock to come get these horses or horses to come get them out or no, no uh so his dad was with us so his dad had stayed up on the ridge at when i whistled whatever he came down so we got a cow dead and i've seen all i've seen my dad do is cut him with an axe and quarters and horses exactly like you were just thinking we're about a mile a little over a mile from the pickup probably it's all downhill though and the cow when she peeled she ran right to the edge of the timber so we got her out the bull though we quarter him stuck stick him on our you know i don't even know the old, old, old Badlands day packs, you know, we're yes. strapped everything we can to that. And we got belts wrapped around that cow's neck. And we got a quarter on our back and we're dragging this cow. And we wrestled and fought and drug and wrestled. And we got everything back to the truck like that on the first one. I don't know how many trips it took us. And it's a steep hill too. It's a, we call it the rocks. It's a monster, monster ridge. And it's one of those ones It's a you know, 1500 foot elevation gain in a mile but it's a good ridge and it was awesome i mean i i it was easy I mean, you look back and i don't remember the pack out because i was so pumped but yeah i just remember having my belt wrapped around that cow's neck with a quarter on my back falling tripping all that awesome stuff well what do you got lined up for this year man i mean you said you had a general elk tag for wyoming you got i imagine a general deer tag and probably an antelope tag is that what i is that what you got going on yeah Yep, yep. So general elk tag, general deer tag, antelope tag, and then I dumped 22 years of points, and I just drew a moose tag, a Wyoming moose tag. So, Are you kidding me? Yeah, buddy. I drew my bighorn sheep two years ago, and then my best friend put in for moose last year. We went moose on. He killed a giant, and then so I dumped my moose points, and we're going in for moose again this year. So that's the end of September. So I got a lot of my wife's elk my elk deer and antelope to get done by the 20th and then we're headed moose hunting the 20th of september so dude that'll be perfect and you know what you got four weeks how are you going to manage how do you budget your time off 
with other stuff going on, you already said like camping trips and weddings this summer, like what do you got for days off and how are you going to allocate those days? All right. So the way I roll it, my wife's, I mean, the cool thing is I got a hunting wife, so she's on board and those weekends. So she doesn't take a lot of weekdays off her job. She's able, she has Fridays, Friday afternoons off through Saturday. So the way I set it up is we usually, she has everything ready to rock by Friday afternoon. We'll roll out Friday afternoon, hunt Saturday, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday together. She'll usually drive her own vehicle and then she comes home. And then the way that I always set my vacation up, I usually take Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off the first two weeks. And then, so then I have like Peter five days, go back to work for two days, then five days off again, go back to work for two days. And then I usually take the whole end of the month off. So then I'll dump the rest of another week and a half vacation there. And I won't go back to work till October 1st when we get hunters, rifle hunters show up and I got to start guiding. That's kind of how I roll. Hunt the weekends with my wife and then I go get after it. Usually Sunday night, I usually backpack in somewhere and I usually don't come out till Wednesday night if if I, hopefully I have something. So yeah. that's kind of. So you say you hunt solo those days. Are you with anybody else or is it just you? Ah, uh, man, over the last, say, Five, six years. I've killed the last couple bulls have been by my last year I killed a bull, I was with my buddy. Um, but everything I've been by myself. It's all been solo. All my deer hunts have been solo. My elk hunts have all been solo. Last year, my hunting partner actually just he happened to kill his bull that morning and I helped him pack it out. And on he didn't have anything going on. And it was kind of it was a Saturday, and I was like, Well, let's roll down. I put some elk to bed last night. We rolled down in, got the wind right, slid in, didn't even have to call, got ahead of a herd, and I stuck a bull. So he happened to be with me last year, but I would say I'm about 50-50. I've killed probably half of my bulls by myself and then half. I, I like to solo hunt. Even though I have a hunting partner, kind of we'll camp together, but we usually throw camp on our backs. Like we have a base camp. We throw our camps on our backs, and we disappear, and we inreach each other. Um, kind of letting know at, in the evenings, letting, letting each other know what we're, what, what happened and help each other out if one of us kills one. But it's for the most part, it's all by ourselves and packing bulls, you know, two years ago, he goes, I helped him pack his bull out. And, uh, he, he calls me and I call him that night. I come up the mountain about one in the morning and I call him. I was like, Oh, I got one. And he goes, dude, tomorrow I can't, I have to put an egress window in a house. I got a concrete guy coming to cut this foundation the one day I can't. So my good hunting partner, he ditched out on me. I packed his bull out, but then I ended up getting my own bull out the next day. So yeah, that sucks. I'm about 50, 50. <laughs> I, I, I prefer solo hunting. I like the, I like the decision making on my own. I like the two feet instead of four feet. Um, I stink bad enough by myself. I don't need anybody else stinking with me too, kind of. No, I totally agree with that. Now, the guys listening that maybe they're maybe they live in like Missouri or Massachusetts and they're they got like a squad and they're they're doing it. They're going they're coming out west and they're new to elk hunting and so they're new to this partnership. Tell them, tell me the best practices when it comes to being a great elk hunting partner teamwork and push the other person the minute that other person you, you whoever's coming out here and i don't care i'm i'm not the toughest guy in the woods but i try to push myself and i know you know that too it's a mental game so if anything does help having a partner is pick that other person up because there's going to be times where it's not just going to be missing a shot or a bull wins you it's going to be climbing the third ridge in on the fourth day and you're thinking about your family at home and you're going, this sucks, man. We haven't been on elk since last night, blah, blah, blah. 
that other hunting partner, if you're a good hunting partner, you look at that guy and you say, yeah, but there's elk right over this ridge. Or let's get to the top of this ridge. Let's kick off our boots. Let's let our socks dry out. Let's rest a little bit, get some food. And then we're going to be on elk tonight. Like motivation for me, if you're going to be with a hunting partner, pick that other hunting partner up and say, let's kick it in the ass and let's, let's, let's do this. Especially if we drove that far. Yeah. Could you imagine being with somebody who's just, maybe they're at their wits end or they're just soft between the ears and they're just negative. I mean, that to me, that could be like literally worse than jail, worse than, uh, (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? So being positive is so huge. And then feeding off each other, that's awesome. And not getting in fights. But I think a lot of guys get in fights. And so I'm going to talk about this scenario. Like a lot of guys will get in fights with like, who is the shooter? Or maybe you're supposed to be the caller that day, but like you grab your bow at the last second. Or, you know, just you come back and be like, why did you do this? The elk did that. Like, like the, you know, they come at each yeah. other, like nobody's perfect, man. It's elk. They want to live, but you can, guys get in fights over anything. Where to camp, where should we call from, where should we glass from? Like all that kind of stuff stems from just not being on the same page. So how do you get, like even your clients when you're guiding, how do you get them in, on the same page as you and, and keep them going? Guiding, I was, I'd have to say is a little bit different. Um, I always keep the positive mindset with guiding and I never get overexcited because usually a guy coming from back east or somewhere, if a, if you get excited, then they get excited, then the, you know, everything comes crashing down because of the, the overexcitement. And so uh, guiding is a little bit different. Just for me there, it's just stay positive attitude and, um, and just to keep them positive. And because usually I'm telling them I'm in charge. Number one thing is safety because usually it's all hunting with guns. So they usually respect the guide. I haven't had, I've had very, very seldom where guys don't respect me and that my decisions, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so in that aspect of guiding, hopefully, and I've, I mean, out of, I don't know, hundreds of clients I've guided, I've, I've barely had any other guy tell me what to do. They've trusted me. I've been very lucky. Um, now, as far as a hunting partner, um, my hunting partner is we are, I don't know how to explain it. We're always on the same page. It's he guides too. We guide together. So, uh, when it comes to rolling in, who's going to shoot first, um, where to camp, all that stuff, like you explained, usually you look at him and it's like, Hey, what do you think about camping here? There's water here. You know, I feel like I'm always kind of the talker. Um, I'm always kind of, I'm always the guy. I definitely am always on the Onyx. always have our plan kind of laid out. If we are like this spring, we went on a big bear hunt together and backpacked in and I kind of had everything laid out where we wanted to camp and go from there. Um, as far as shooter, who's up? I would say kind of for us, if it's our spot and stop game on our deer and our bears and whatever, the guy that usually spots it and sees it usually kind of is the guy that gets to roll. When we've been calling, um, man, he'd probably argue with you. I called his bull in for him last year. I, I like to call a little more. I'm more comfortable with it. So it seems like when we get into calling scenario, I'm usually the guy that sets up to call. We damn sure always pack our bows. Though. We aren't those guys that like, I'm calling today your shooter and leave a bow because they're, if you're in the elk woods, you might kill a bull on the walk-in and you have all day and you got a bow in your hand. I would shoot a bull with a 100 pounds of meat on my back. So I'm never leaving my bow. So I'm always going to put him usually in front when I'm calling. And then I will have my bow and however the scenario works out. But I don't know. Does that kind of explain Does that kind of answer your question? Oh, it does, man. And I love that. I mean, I would shoot an elk with a hundred pounds of meat on my back. That's a quote right there. I love that. And 
you know, you guys are feeding off each other, but one guy is quarterbacking. I feel like that's always a good scenario. It should be the more either the more vocal guy or the guy who's more organized and did more of the groundwork. Somebody's going to come out on top on that equation. Somebody's going to put in more work, whether it's just they that's their personality or they made time for that. And uh, that's that's what you got to do is is kind of have you know your role. But um, when it comes to these moose tags that you or this moose tag that you drew, man, like, do you have reps at moose hunting? <laughs> I've been on two moose hunts. I went last year with my best friend, and it was a slam dunk. It was one of those ones where we rolled over, scouted. I mean, scouted. I don't mean like we went and looked for a specific moose. We went and found where trails were. We went and found where camping spots were. We went and found where vantage points were. And it was my wife and I's anniversary also. That's oh. awesome. He rolled <laughs> my buddy to go moose scouting. We kicked his ass out one night, and I took her to dinner. <laughs> so... <laughs> That was our that was our scout adventure. Then we rolled in a month later, and we got so lucky. I can't say that we didn't. We rolled into a good drainage where we found a ton of moose tracks. And the first morning at first light, he killed a fifty-five inch shiras. So that is my moose hunting experience right there. Other than that, I mean, I've grown up around tons of moose, looking at moose, and so no, I can't say I have hardly any reps. I got one rep at. Uh, <laughs> we got one rep at hunting moose but. so when you guys killed that moose did you see it shoot it or did you actually like go into an area where maybe it was dense and you had to do like calling for moose how did that go down we rolled in and when we got over there i told him i said man everybody we see on the road this area doesn't give out very many tags so i said everybody we see on the road we're stopping them and asking them if they've seen moose and it's yeah. remote and the first guys that we pulled up to were some guys from oregon older gentlemen and they were like, hey, you know, asking us about elk, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, we asked him about moose. They're like, yeah, we saw a bull. When was that gym, you know, or whatever his name was? He's like, oh, I think that was about a week ago. You know, we saw one up here in this creek. And so I was like, well, that's a start, you know. And he was, was he good? Yeah, he looked pretty damn big, you know. So we take that information. We roll up there. It literally was where we were planning on camping anyways, close to where we were planning on camping. So we set up camp. We rolled up that drainage that evening, and there was moose sign everywhere like tracks trails everything rubs it was the 21st of september it got dark that evening we had some other buddies roll in we set up a game plan the next morning this drainage was about seven miles long pure willows i mean just just prime moose country it looked like a little alaska oh, rolled yeah. up daylight glass in a duck pond and i watched this cow moose walk right below this duck pond and all of a sudden it looked like a car hood behind her and it was his paddles and he just comes wallering out and 55 inch bull is just a giant yeah, dude, I don't uh, – 55 inch Shiras is so – that's off the charts, bro. That's that's uh, that's top, top end, man. You're telling us, and we didn't know. You know, we're going over there with the – kind of like the 300-inch elk mindset. Like, yes. The good, respectable – you know, good, respectable bull. That's what we're looking for. And, uh, yeah, we came home with a 400-inch bull. So it was a good trip. Man, I, I'm impressed. I really am. So – I guess, are you in the same unit? I'm in the unit next to it. Um, so our whole idea behind this is we're not going to Alaska anytime soon. So we are trying to just kind of adventure hunt. So that's why I told you two years ago I had the bighorn sheep tag. We put in for a unit where nobody had ever killed a sheep with a bow. We bombed in there. We got lucky and got a ram. 
Then the next year, Zach put in for his moose. It went to a different, complete different place. Let's try and hunt moose there. So then I took my points. And I was like, let's go to a complete different place and let's see some more country and hunt just like that. So it's our uh, it's our mini adventure trips while we're raising these young families until we can get some money stored in the bank and actually go on a big adventure trip. So we're going to another unit that's side by side that I have a ton of intel with. I've scouted a pile um, as far as like I've talked to probably eight or 10 different guys that have all hunted, guided everything in this unit. And they've really turned me on to a shed hunted. I've seen sheds from this year, bulls that drop. So okay, I have a rolling into this one. What are you thinking for inventory wise? I mean, you, you're putting quite a bit of time into it. I mean, you said you're taking off September 20th or 21st, I think you said, and you're going moose hunting. It's kind of like pre-rut, but I mean, I hear bulls all the time around, around me when I'm elk hunting that are, seems like they're pre-rutting hard. Um, do you know, I mean, do you know exactly where you're going and kind of what you're looking for? I know, I know some drainages. Yes, there's, it's a big area. So I know two drainages specifically that are big, good calling drainages that are, you know, miles long where I can set up six, eight different places and call through. And then I do know of a place where specifically there was three or four different, I know a guy that moose hunted it last year and he was with his father-in-law. There was an older gentleman that had a hard time getting around and they saw, they saw three bulls and they weren't able to get any, any of them just because he had a hard time getting around and they were in some rougher stuff and then they got away. So I literally know of three giant bulls. I have pictures of two of them that are, they're that 50 inch caliber and and they uh, they were still living when he left on November 1st, and that tag closed the 15th. And I think a lot of those guys filled out last year in October. There's only five tags for the unit. So I That's think there's some bulls that are alive still that are over there. So I'm headed over there to look at some more – to pretty much uh, hammer down our camping spot and all that. We're headed over there in three weeks to really, really nail all that down. Before Antelope starts, we're going to make a run and go check it out and have you, a game plan for September. I love that you have – the, the gumption to go look for camping spots as silly as that may sound to some people it's really nice to have a sweet base camp and to kind of know where that is and where you're headed to glass or where you're going to call now i've killed one moose and my dad's killed one moose in idaho we're done there it's a once in a lifetime deal i would say on both those both those kills it's pretty thick obviously in idaho like thicker density is underbrush but it did both our bulls, we called from long distances, and I was like, it seemed like it took those bulls forever to get to us. And the other thing I wanted to point out was like, man, I could barely, barely hear their grunts in the beginning to the point where we almost left, and I'm glad we didn't. Because you like, really? did you did you hear that? No, I didn't hear that. And you're like just listening, and you're like, dude, I swear I heard. A, a, and then you're just both of you are just shut up listening, and you can't hear anything, but. Give it time to develop, man. I think calling a moose in with a bow, like I shot my bull at probably three or four yards, like your cow, like yeah. the arrow went off the string and then right into him. And he wasn't a giant, but he wasn't a dink either. But that's what I wanted. I want something so up close and personal, and that's what I got. And I hope I hope you get into a scenario like that. Um, I watched your hunt. I thought that was pretty cool. I I was I mean when we, the minute I heard you had killed one, I went through all your YouTube stuff to find it because I I've been. You want to talk about my wife is so sick of seeing moose on our TV and my little girl she says moose everything's moose and we got a new horse and my little girl at twenty months old named him moose because dad is uh pretty caught up on moose the last year. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. 
So does your dad still get after it and hunt quite a bit? No, my dad is retired now. He's uh he's a damn good camp cook though. If uh when we roll this whole moose hunt, dad'll be holding down the fort and there'll be good good dinner for us waiting for us every night. So the way we're gonna hunt this, it's gonna be a lot of covering roads, calling, glassing. We're, I don't even think we're gonna take horses. We're gonna roll all a lot of uh, using vantage points and and uh, what I, what we've been told is use the roads kind of like I think kind of like that Idaho country. I mean, use as many roads and cover as much country as you can to find these moose. Because just like yours, the wolves have hammered ours too. So they're they're few and far between, but where they are, they're they're big. So my old man, he's uh, he's our camp tender and uh, he takes care of us. And usually we try and hit him on a radio or something. He'll pick us up at the bottom of a drainage or the years last few years. When we have went in with horses, he he stays at camp and wrangles horses for us and stuff. So that's he, that's what he's resorted to. He's he isn't hunting anymore at all. Actually, he's probably hunted so much that I mean he's forgotten more than we'll ever know. And dude, him making dinner every night, how sick is that going to be? Just to come home whooped and tired and have a hot meal ready to go. That's going to save you time and energy too. Um, and then meat wise, you're going to be loaded in meat this year um your hunting resume shows dude like you're you're gonna have some freezers so how many freezers do you have at your house uh um got one in the basement that i keep that i gotta keep full for my wife and then there are two three out in the garage uh big chest freezers and two stand-ups out in the garage and then usually because both of us have killed elk and then i usually shoot a cow elk with my bow too i love late season cow elk hunting i just i get a rush out of that so we usually give one whole elk to split it between our families, our parents. And then, yeah, man, we hammer the meat just like you. That's that's every night. And then we'll cook a bunch up on Sundays. Like we cook a pile of elk steaks up on Sundays, and that's what I take for lunches all week. And, yeah, we go through it, buddy. Yeah, that's Dude, so yeah. Cool. Okay, so the, the last two directions I want to go, I don't want to keep you you're an hour ahead of me, but is we got to talk about the sheep hunt, bro. Like you killed a sheep with a bow and there's not a lot of guys that can say that so you you already kind of hinted you put in for an area that you know no one had ever done it before so you are you the first one to kill a sheep with a bow in that unit yeah so it's a pretty cool story uh my friend is a the biologist i'll even tell you guys they actually closed the unit now because the sheep numbers have gotten so low it's over by jackson hole and uh they closed the unit because the sheep numbers and so I killed a ram in 2017 they gave out two tags for it every year they'd give out two tags and the other guy that had the tag that year didn't harvest a ram the other guy didn't harvest a ram last year and then this year they didn't even give a license for it so I wasn't the last guy that harvest a ram out of that unit and I put in for it because a guy that I look up to like a brother uh he's an outfitter over out of Jackson Hole and he had nothing going on, and it's a, it was an August 1st sheep opener, and archery opener. And I had been looking at it, and I'd looked at it and looked at it, and I was like, I was like man, I got enough points for that. He's like, put in for it. He goes, we got nothing going on. He goes, let's bring some horses over. We'll go up and have some fun. It'll be a camping trip because it'll be August 1st. And I was like, all right, let's put in for it, and I drew. And uh, so I was like, holy cow, it got real. That was the year Jackson had like 750 inches, 700, don't quote me, but 700 plus inches of snow. So we had planned a scouting trip like the 10th or 20th or 10th or 15th of July and couldn't get in because the snow was so deep still. Seriously. And it was an August 1st opener. So then it was like, well, I'm not going to drive all the way over there and drive back, you know, a weekend apart. So we just went a day early, went July 29th. We went in, no, July 30th, we went in. 
set up camp and uh you know that time of year you know it's just like a camping trip be like going camping next weekend right so uh we were up there we didn't even set up tents we just slept on the ground first morning we wake up and the peaks are 10,000 11,000 feet right there and the first morning we wake up we ride to the, we're on horses we ride to the top of this ridge tied up horses and we start glassing and the first place that I peek over there's a ram 120 yards below me all I can see is the back of his head this was going to be a glassing spot. It's not like I set up to stock. So I peek up and the wind is horrible. I mean, like wrong direction. It's like quartering at him and you can't, can't fake the wind, right? You can't try and beat the wind. And I'm like, there's nothing I can do. I'm already busted. He's 120 yards below me, kind of like off to the side of me. So I'm like, I bet if I can back off, and hopefully he didn't win me. If I can back off and I slide down this ridge 60 yards, I pop over. He's going to be like 40 yards, 50 yards. Back off, slide over. He's gone. So long story short, we set up that day. Don't find any more rams, nothing. The next day, we're going to ride up this ridge, exact same thing, and set to cross a little saddle, and we pop up, and I look up in front of us at 250 yards, and there's four rams standing on the side hill looking at us. And we just stop on our horses, and they just kind of turn, and they just walk around. There's on the, it's a giant peak they're standing on. They walk around the peak away from us. So I haul butt tie up horses i haul butt i run up the backside of this ridge and i'm just gonna hopefully be above them and peek down on top of them and they're nowhere to be seen and we're quite a ways above timberline so timber's probably 400 yards below us and i'm like well nothing so we set up glass 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 nothing let's go back to the horses we're gonna water horses feed them whatever well those guys zach and my buddy ryan are sitting at, sitting where we had these horses tied up and it's kind of the middle of the day you know like i'm like you know what guys i'm gonna go up to the top of that peak I'm going to set up. They were going to stay about a mile and a half away from me across this giant canyon. I was going to hike around it, get on the peak, and they were going to hand signal me if anything came out between us. And then I could glass back towards them, kind of in the vicinity where these rams had disappeared that morning. Anyways, I literally, Dan, I take off and I get to the top. The top edge of this basin had a big snow drift in it. Well, there was hardly any water in this unit. And I walk across that snow drift and I start up this peak and I get three quarters of the way up this peak. And I look down below me towards the timber at 300 yards. And here's five rams coming up towards the saddle. I just walked to headed to that snow drift. I'm guessing they're going to get a drink and it's wide open between me and them and nothing but scree rock. And it's about a 50, I think it's like a 54 or 55 degree angle on the range finder. It's steep. Oh my gosh. And so I'm like on my elbows and on my heels sliding straight at them. When they would put their heads down to eat, I would just skirt, just scoot at them, scoot at them. They're like 300 yards, but they're kind of quartering up towards me. And I just start aiming for that snowdrift on my elbows, laying on my backpack with my elbows dug in and my heels dug in. And I'm just sliding down this. And I get about halfway to them and I get to like a six foot cliff where it's just like a little band of rock. And I slide my feet over it. And now I'm kind of hanging. If my feet hit and I go forwards, like it's a long tumble. <laughs> so I slide down, I get my feet, and I'm a tall guy, and but my feet would couldn't touch. That's how I know it was lower six foot, and I, I'm dangling my legs. Finally, I just kind of kick myself off it. I hit and I slide. Well, they hear all that rock slide. Oh, they, but, shoot. But they would like just look up and then they would go back to eat. And like sheep are funny. And when I left to get on the go on this hunt, I called a buddy of mine named Ron Najalik. He's a guy out of Cody. He is an elk killing machine, but he killed a ram the year before. And I said, Ron, what's any advice you'd give me? He said, be aggressive and go at him just like you would a mule deer, but be even more aggressive. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so they uh, would put their head down and feed. I kicked all those rocks. 
they looked up for a second and just went right back to feeding. And up to the snow they get. Well, I range the snow at 90-some yards, and they start playing in the snow, and they start eating. And there's a big ram right in the middle of them. Anyways, fast forward. They come up. Um, I'm sitting on my butt. It was so steep that, you know, when your heels are like dug in, I, when I drew back, I had to watch my bottom cam so it wouldn't hit the rocks. I was shooting down between my legs so steep and, uh, I shot and I stuck him. He wheeled over the edge and disappeared over the cliff and it just got quiet. And the other four Rams ran to the edge and looked over and that was it. It all got quiet and I called them on the radio and they hadn't even left yet. They had just saddled horses and I said, I shot a sheep and they're like, what? Cause they couldn't see me. They had no idea any of this was going on. They were on the other side of the ridge. Anyways, long story short, we roll up there and I killed the oldest ram to ever come out of that unit too. He was nine and a half years old. It was the oldest recorded ram ever in that unit. So it was a flood of emotions, man. It was, it was cool to, that it just happened to be the first bow kill and the oldest ram all in one. And so it was pretty neat to roll in there on the second day of the season and have a sheep in our hands. It was, it was a pretty neat feeling. So let's talk about that shot. Like, when's the last time before this hunt you got a 54-degree angle and shot? Oh, dude. I, uh, we were just at an archery shoot yesterday. It's funny you asked that. And we were shooting yesterday, and I said, the best shot I've ever made is on a bighorn sheep. And he was walking. He was slow walking, like one step, two step. But he wasn't stopping. And I was running out of time. So I kind of had to I put it on the front of his shoulder and let it rip. Um, I'd never practiced that shot. The last time I ever shot that shot, I was an IBO triple crown and I was in the grand Oregon and you had to get in a harness and lean out over the edge to shoot a foam mountain goat at about 45 yards. And I was probably 15 years old. That's the last time I ever shot an angle that steep. And so, yeah, I hadn't practiced to say the least at all. Okay. I've been so, to a lot of archery shoots and I've never been harnessed in and leaned over. Okay. So <laughs> shout out to Legrand. You can't even do that shit anymore. I bet like they'd have... <laughs> waivers or somebody would get sued but that is badass are you kidding me it's a nice yeah. little side note um dude you are a legend you are seriously i mean i can i that is legit like that is really putting it together i mean that's really impressive i have 11 points for sheep in uh wyoming and i'm pretty limited on where i can put in obviously without hiring a guide but uh I do. Uh, I'm going to burn each one of those points cost me at least a hundred bucks. <laughs> it's worth it though. If you don't mind battling bears, man, you got some, you're getting close. If you don't mind battling bears, you're getting close. I know you are in a couple units. Cool. I'll talk to you offline, but yeah, man, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. serious. Like I'm getting close to cash catching in and I don't particularly love bears, but I'll hunt in that bear country. I've, I've done it before. Saw, saw a lot of bears. Um, it was awesome. You know, I'll even say where I hunted for elk. It was, um, I don't even know the name of the unit. It's probably 55 or something. It borders Yellowstone. It's in the, yeah, it's just a little North of there. Um, I'm not sure that, but anyways, it was, it was a cool hunt. Didn't kill an elk. Didn't know what I was really doing too much, to be honest with you. Um, I had killed a few elk, had killed a handful of elk leading up to that hunt. So I thought I was kind of getting better, but Dude, I got schooled. I got schooled big time, and uh, it was a short hunt. But, man, I remember specifically in one part of that hunt, one hillside had a sow and two cubs, grizz, obviously, just rooting around, and then just slide over to the next finger, had a band of rams, and then just slide over to the next finger, and there was probably like a 330 bull with about 10 or 12 cows. I'm like, where else are you going to see this in the same frame? And I didn't have a video camera. Didn't I, I could I could have filmed that, but, I mean – Dude, that's why I tell you, like, Wyoming's special, man. There's there's something for everybody there. 
no, I think uh, you, I think the Grizzly Bears keep it real for us. I think that's why we have those wild places. I mean, everybody cusses the Grizzly Bears. I, I don't like them, but we've been hunting these moose in Grizz, and that sheep is all in Grizz country, and you don't see anybody, but you see a lot of Grizzly Bears. I mean, we go three miles. Last year I saw six Grizzly Bears in three miles. So, and you don't see a black bear. You know how often you just drive down the road and see black bears? You don't really. And so you can drive down the road and you can see grizzly bears. So you know there's a lot of them when you're seeing them. And, uh, yeah, Wyoming is special. I, 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 everybody always asks. That's the thing we always get. Well, where'd you put in for tags? Did you draw any other states? Did you do this? And I'm like, man, I can get two buck antelope. I can get a bull elk. I can get a cow elk. I can get a mule deer. I can draw an extra whitetail tag. I can shoot unlimited doe whitetail. And I can shoot unlimited antelope does so it's like i can spend all my money in my home state and be broke because i can hunt and you can go all over you can see from the deserts to the thirteen thousand foot peaks so yeah i'm lucky i know it and i think that's what's helped you it, it really it really steepened that i mean it made that learning curve really short for me when you live in this state because you can hunt so much do you think you guys are going to legalize that grizzly hunt yeah maybe but it's going to be like the wolf thing it's going to take a long time Okay. I, don't think I think I'm saying I'm, you know, 10, 15 years, maybe sooner, maybe, maybe sooner. But I, I think there's a lot of liberals are going to push back against us. You know what I mean? Do you, um, do you guide for elk in any grizzly areas? No, I don't. Okay. Nope. Definitely. They say there's no elk in the bighorn or there's no grizzlies in the bighorns, but would you, would you agree with that? Or were you like, uh, th- they say that, but there's probably a few. I bet there's definitely – I know there's definitely been some pastor. I know if guys have trail cameras, and I've heard the rumors, you know, the federal trappers of this and that, but I don't think they last very long. I don't know how to put that the right way, but I think they may right. have touched, but they don't last very long up there. I think that is what it is. So, um, okay, well, I've got to finish this up, but I am enjoying this conversation, Sam. You, uh, you're a fit dude, and you're doing some things, and success leaves behind clues – I think everybody's tired of hearing me talk about what I do, um, and that's what works for me. But what works for you when it comes to just fitness? Uh, persistence. I get up every day at 4.30. Um, I go to the gym, and if I don't make it to the gym, I got a gym in my basement. And when I lived, I, I just moved to town. Uh, my wife and I moved to town, bought our own house, and we live in town now, so I set up a gym in my basement. But when I lived out on the ranches, I was 25, 30 miles out in the hills, so – I've always, I, I welded up my own squat rack and everything, but now I actually go to the gym. I wake up every morning and I hit the gym as hard as I can for 45 minutes to an hour, um, usually six days a week. And that other day I like to call it kind of an active rest day, which that's usually a scouting. That's a trail cam day. That's me and my wife are hiking that day doing something, but yeah. And, uh, for the workout itself, um, it's pretty broke down. I like to lift. I like to lift, but I don't lift heavy. Everything's squats and all max I'll do is like 185 pounds. But everything I try to do is I try to hit 100 reps. I try to hit 100 reps here. I try to hit 100 reps on bench, and I try to do four sets of 12 with three to three to three workouts. However long it takes to do 40 minutes, if that makes sense. So usually I'll do like nine different workouts, four sets of 12, and high intensity. So I'm sweating my butt off, kind of thing every day. Just total body workouts, big compound movements, lifting weights and getting high reps in, high heart rate. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I'm, I can't say I do a ton of like I, – I watch some CrossFit maneuvers. So I, do, I would say more like some kettlebell stuff. Like I'm slinging dumb – not kettlebells, but I sling dumbbells around. Um, I do a lot of lunges, quick lunges. I like quick feet movement. I don't want to get old and slow. So there's a lot of like 
plyometric stuff I like to do a little bit and uh, a lot of squats. And on my legs, I don't get heavy with my legs because I'm not getting any younger. So I try to stay easy on my joints. That's why I told you, like, go easy and, and on bench press, all that stuff too. Stay lightweight, but just lots of reps. I dig it. I, I, I would work out with you. I would do that kind of stuff, man. Like, um, my days of pushing, like, my, my outer limits is, like, really taking a back seat. And I keep a training journal. And I'd say, like, this last year especially, I can't even get to, like, 95% of my one rep maxes. Maybe not even 90. And I don't even have a desire. I just want to get in and get out of the gym so fast. I just want to, like, get a good warm-up, get a really good strength, get a badass conditioning piece that just crushes my lungs and cool down and get out and have it done like in an hour tops. It yep. used to not be like that, man. I would be like, I need to do six different str- – I would just – dude, I would just overtrain. And it works, but I time is so limited uh, once you have those kids and it's just like you can't be in there all the time. So you want to get the most bang for your buck. I love your, your approach. Um, when it comes to nutrition – I mean, I think a lot of us, our weaknesses, some guys have sweet tooth. Some guys just don't plan and prepare meals in advance. Some guys just don't know what the hell they're doing. And I'm trying to solve all those kind of problems with Elk Shape now that I went full-time with it. So what do you think, like, most of the guys that you work out with and stuff, like, what's the chink in their armor when it comes to nutrition? Is it knowledge? Is it application? Is it laziness? Or just something else I can't think of? Laziness. That's just laziness. For me, the chink in the armor when it comes to nutrition would be laziness. It's because it takes a you know, you have to put some effort in to prepare. Um, and so I would say laziness. If I see anything, it's 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 the fast food bug or it's easier to eat out than pay for that meal, you know what I mean? Or swing by the gas station and get some junky sugar filled protein bar instead of eating a chicken breast or grabbing that elk steak that you had the night before. So I would say that's it. And I mean when it comes to preparation for me, I do hard-boiled eggs. I'll do four hard-boiled eggs, and then I do have a big chunk of ham, and I cut off a couple ounces of ham every for my breakfast every morning. So I leave the gym. I shake my protein shake, my four hard-boiled eggs. I eat my ham, and then throughout the day, man, I'm I'm not one of those fasting guys. I eat as much as I can all day long, like, and I eat big lunches and I eat big dinners. But the thing is, too, is I think if I'm going to eat like that, I, I do. It's not necessarily to. I don't have to worry about being – got I'm lucky I got a speedy metabolism. If I didn't work out, I'd be 25 pounds less because my metabolism is just crazy. So um, I'm fortunate in that respect. But I will have a bowl of cereal at night. I try doing your like protein, like a little protein powder with some peanut butter or whatever. Man, I got to have my Frosted Flakes at night. So, <laughs> Hey, man, that's, that's a little kryptonite, but you got to have a little bit. I mean you're alive for so much. But – we don't talk about nutrition enough on here. I do want to dive deeper with some other guests and stuff, but I think I want to relate to what you're saying. It's like, man, there's not like that intermittent fasting is going to work for some people and it's going to not work for a lot of people. Same with like the keto that kind of got exciting for a while there for people, but it's not, I mean, that's not a very sustainable, but it will be sustainable for some people, but really like old school, like lean protein sources and eating a rainbow a day, like literally forcing yourself to have vegetables at all your food encounters it is so difficult to do um today i failed miserably for lunch i was editing a podcast like by the way i'm doing like 13 or 14 podcasts in the next four weeks i'm trying to get them all lined out so i don't have to do one until i'm done (laughs) elk hunting so uh but i'm really enjoying this one i'm not gonna lie the uh 
I went upstairs and I'm like, man, I need to make a, I'm going to make a sandwich, which I hardly ever have just a sandwich, but, um, pre kids, we didn't even buy bread for real. Like I don't, like I was telling athletes and clients not to eat bread. So I didn't have bread, but we got bread in the house. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make an old school sandwich, dude. I had like just meat, cheese, mayo, mustard, bread, the end, no lettuce, no spinach, Nothing, huh? just like a straight up sandwich. And it was fine, but I don't, I think I could have been better. I think I could have felt better the rest of the day. Um, so something like that, as simple as just grabbing some raw vegetables and chopping them up and put them on the side next to your sandwich and then overloading your sandwich with so much damn spinach that it's spilling out of the sandwich or even just doing like a lettuce wrap or even some sort of tortilla is probably better. But I mean, hey, that was because I didn't plan and prepare and we were between grocery shopping. We didn't food prep because we went camping last weekend. Dude, it's life, right? You just got to bounce back at the next meal. And so I did that, man. I had like an awesome omelet for dinner with tons of veggies in it. And I just bounced back. Bouncing back on nutrition is something that a lot of people just fail to do. They're like, screw it. I'm going down and I'm just going to crush it the rest of the day. And you know what? It's You're not going to feel your best. And you're not going to feel great about yourself. Because deep down, you know, like it doesn't align with your goals. And there's like, got a lot of guys that listen, Sam, that dude, they got some weight to lose and they get pissed when they hear the guys like you and me who well, have to work out or will lose weight. And I mean, I just feel like an asshole saying that, but it's the truth. Like, so everyone's given the cards they've been given. Um, so let's get, that was a long segue, but we're getting into vegetables, dude. What are your top three go-tos and what are the top three you, I cannot get you to eat. You're like a three-year-old. Uh, I'll eat absolutely anything. Let's say top three, I'll eat anything. Uh, my wife is big on veggies. She's a I would say my wife keeps me steered straight. As far as I wouldn't eat bad, I'm not. I have even when I was a single guy, living on the ranch, you have to do all your own cooking. There's no Walmart or no McDonald's down the street, so I've always cooked. But she's damn sure keeping me straight on every vegetable. I'll eat any vegetable. Top three favorites. I love a spinach salad. I usually have spinach salad every night, every day in my lunch. I'm packing avocados with me, and uh, then after that, I liked. Uh, I love. I like some broccoli. I eat the heck out of broccoli. And my little girl loves broccoli. So we eat a lot of broccoli, spinach, and avocados. would be my top three. Do you grill any of your veggies since it is grilling yeah. season? Yes. we have a. I mean, grilling season is 365 days for us. We got a grilling basket, and our Weber grill sits right outside the door. We grill. I bet we grill, I'd say, 250 days out of the year we're grilling. So, yeah, we grill every vegetable. I grill tomatoes. I throw everything in that grilling basket, and we, we cook it all like that. Yeah, man, I go through grills faster than tires. I mean, I seriously, we grill 365 in the crappy winters. Um, I love yeah. it. So Brussels sprouts, you'll eat them? Oh, yeah, Brussels sprouts. My wife, she bakes when we – I do like a baked Brussels She cuts them in half. She puts some seasoning on them, paprika and stuff, and she throws those in. We bake those. I love baked Brussels sprouts. That's probably one of my favorites. Sautéed, they're pretty good. Just sautéed in a little bit of olive oil too. That's all right. Yeah, man. See, we're talking nutrition. We're talking working out. Okay, I want to end on a couple things when it comes to your gear. And then snowpack, I'm going to get this question out of the way. You said the snowpack's pretty deep this year. Should I expect to see some snow in the high country when I go down there in uh, end of August? Uh, I don't know how high you're going to be, but there's there, yeah, there's more snow this year sitting up there right now than there has been, like, say, last year. You're going to be all right, though. It's going to be it's gonna be good. Horn girls phenomenal this year. I've already seen bucks and bulls that are 
everything is it's awesome everything's on point the grass is short up on top if that's if there's any indication there there, there was snow so long we had so many late spring storms storms that the grass looks like it does like when you're you know may uh bear hunt kind of really? just like inch bright green it's exactly what it looks like right now up at ten thousand feet and i think that's that's what's going to get you know because it's starting to dry out now so that's going to be what it's going to be two two three inches so that's something to keep i don't know how high you're hunting if you're going to be going above timberline which i doubt in wyoming you're going to be hunting much above timberline but um as far as that, I think that grass is going to dry up. I think those elk, you watch. I bet by the 10th, 10th, 15th, depending on how our weather sits this year and how August dries out, watch those elk drop in just one tier. You know what I mean? Drop into that that next next forage level right into the edge of the timber, right at timberline. You know, those bucks or those bulls that are usually above timberline, that grass is so short. I can see them dropping down into those green basins maybe 10 days earlier than they would. Say they rut down in there September 20th usually. Maybe by the 10th this year they've moved down a little bit just yeah. because the snow hung around so late that the grass is just short and they might go through it a little faster. Although that makes sense and it could burn up faster and, yeah. uh, you know, what you're saying about tiers, I totally think of elk hunting in tiers as far as levels or like ladders and what level they're at. And they move different levels from feeding to bedding. And then obviously food is always going to dictate where they're going to spend the majority of their evenings and all night. So tiers is a great way to think about it when it's any animal you're hunting and Absolutely. trying to figure out their level. Yeah, except for antelope. That's pretty flat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a point for antelope. I need to get back out there, man. I, I seriously love antelope hunting. But I want to talk gear. Um, I'm going to shoot from the hip here. But right. you mentioned trail cameras. What have you – I mean, everybody does usually a smorgasbord, I, myself included. But what cameras are you running and which ones are doing the best? $70 Bushnells. That's what I run. The cheapest because I'm not looking for cool video. I don't need spectacular imagery. I don't need any of that. I just need – Three megapixels to show me what bulls or what or what, what what bucks or what like that's and I'm very I only use it that open country on a few water holes like that's all I run for trail cameras to be honest bears I guess when I do bear hunt I'm bear hunting I got millions of pictures of bears but the thing is there I like a cheap trail camera because I don't need to tons of detail I just need to know what's there that's yep. kind of cool all right let's talk about your archery rig i'm sure you've been through a few bows but where are you at these days on archery equipment just kind of a generalized setup uh, i roll pse expedite at 80 pounds um i got a long draw so i like slinging slinging arrows fast i shoot a grim reaper but i shoot the pro series three blade i do shoot the expandable um i shoot pretty fast and pretty hot um i know guys really frown at that but i'm slinging an arrow at 300 and 330 feet per second a 465 grain up 330 so what's I, your that draw is, length man 30 and a half or 30 and a quarter i think not, is what it's not fair when you say you got like so psc's got really aggressive cams already and short uh -huh. brace heights so they shoot they make you know they make bows for speed then you got a 30 and a half inch draw length and you're pulling 80 pounds and you're shooting in my opinion not that heavy of an arrow dude you got you got some tight pins or a really small sight tape I don't use sight tape. I roll eight pins. I roll a I roll a Montana Black Gold Surge, and I had them custom build it with eight pins. And yeah, they're stacked on top of each other. I gap shoot everything, and I grew up doing it just like all of us did. And I haven't transferred over to the slider yet. I mean, all my buddies, everybody's got a slider nowadays, and I still gap shoot everything. So, oh, dude, hey, no, no worries there. I was shooting a single pin all off season when I got my hands on the Matthews Vertex and. 
I slapped on a pro series on my traverse and it was just a five pin and that's usually what I've rocked majority. And I was just practicing in the backyard and I shot the wrong pin like three times and I'm like, screw this. <laughs> um, I have never had that issue. So how do you just, is it just in, I guess you have muscle memory. You just know to go count your pins in the heat I, of the moment. Uh, yeah, I can tell you it's green, red, yellow, green, red, yellow, red. I mean, I can tell you my colors, my pins. My mm -hmm. first yellow is at 40. So mm -hmm. I come to full draw. I know what 40 looks like. And yeah, get after it from there. Just, I mean, you know, it is muscle. I mean, you've done the same exact thing since 2000, the year 2000, I shot a Montana black gold site that's been colored the exact same. So only thing I've done is got more pins as I've got older. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So the, uh, the Grim Reaper, the, the pro series, the three blade, uh, that's a sick, that's my, that's my go-to as well. And I've been really stoked on that. Now, when it comes to glassing and stuff like that, what do you take for glass? Like when you're elk hunting specifically? When I'm elk hunting specifically, I'm not a guy that rolls with a spot and scope. If it's yellow, that's what I want to see. I want to find a big golden colored bull with some cows and I'm going to go chase him. I'm not a horns guy. So I just want a good mature bull. So I just roll 10 by 42 Swarovskis. I wish I could tell you Maven because they're Wyoming binoculars, but I got to get my Swarovski. Anybody wants to buy some Swarovski 10 by 42s, I'm there for sale because I want to get, I want to, I want to rep my uh, Wyoming brand. I want to rep some Mavens to be honest with you, <laughs> but uh, 10 by 42 binoculars is is what I roll with and I don't I don't run with a spotter. I don't need a spotting scope to hunt elk. No doubt, no doubt. Um look for the yellow school bus and move in. I love that. And the the 10 by 42. So when you go when you sell those swirls cuz you will and I used to have swirls. I used to be all swirls and then I switched to Vortex. Um uh -huh. I would recommend Vortex, yeah, for the last few years, but now I'm going to like insist that you go try their Ultra HDs just because of their price points. Um so those ten by forty twos, you have never, to go try those. I've never looked through any vortexes, so yeah, man. Just do a comparison, just see for yourself. Um, just their price point and then their VIP warranty. And I'm yes, they work with me; they are a partner. But I'm just telling you, like, I'd say they're the binos I have from two years ago were like good, you know, I mean they're good or whatever. But like the the Ultra HDs, dude, we're talking low light. I just had them all all spring hunting bears and. Uh, yeah, I think you should just do a little comparison. All right, finally, clothing systems for Wyoming where it can be really hot, really cold. You're hunting for yourself. You're guiding guys in late rifle. What's your layering system? My layering system? Um, it's changed just a little bit this year. I got a new pant that is awesome from Stone Glacier. The De Havilland pants from Stone Glacier are okay. wicked. I have ran the – I'm a Sitka guy and have been a Sitka guy. So Okay. My layering system has always been, I usually run the ascent pant in early season. I'm running the ascent pant with the knee pads. I put knee pads in the ascent pant, and then usually I go to the mountain pants, the timberline pants. Um, if I had to pick one, I'd roll with like the mountain pant, just because when I'm stocking, not necessarily elk, but mule deer, those timberlines, that, that uh, reinforced knee is kind of loud on the yellow grass when you're kneeling down. It's a little bit louder, and you can get away with a little more with that mountain pant. Um, but those new De Havilland pants from Stone Glacier are sick because they side zips that you can cool off while walking i mean those are legit upper system uh i like the the core heavyweight hoodie from stone glacier is my number one go-to and i wear the merino long sleeve underneath it and i'm a guy that wear, i rock a t-shirt i literally i've killed more stuff than just my dang t-shirt but <laughs> then my next layer is the merino wool lightweight long sleeve then with the core heavyweight um hoodie and then I usually just have a lightweight puffy 
and then my rain jacket. That's kind of how my backpack rolls. I can get away through a lot of temperatures with that stuff. I mean, even if I'm moving, I'll roll into October with that exact same setup. That puffy over that core heavyweight hoodie, man, is legit. That's 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 the go-to for me. And then I just really keep that downpour. My downpour jacket stays in my pack at all times. It never comes out. So that's a great piece right there. It's kind of spendy, but man, once you got it, you're you're never regretting it. Um, dude, where can people find you on platforms? Like, do you have a YouTube channel or? Uh, are you on Facebook or Instagram? Where are people? Where can people find your stuff? All right, so I do have a YouTube. Um, it's a motto of mine. It's Predators Never Quit, and that's my YouTube channel. That's a motto I kind of live by. And, love it, uh, love it. That's my YouTube, and then my Instagram is s davis two five zero six twenty five out six. So that's a uh, that's it. And then Facebook, Sam Davis. I don't do a whole lot on Facebook, but it's mostly Instagram and YouTube. I try to put a solo video, all my hunts on YouTube and put them on there. So that's it, man. Hashtag, you know how- hashtag predators never quit. That's it. I hashtag predators never quit on everything. That's just my, my life motto. I came up with that saying I'd already killed my bull. We were all of our, all of us buddies. We all had a general tag. Three of us had general tags that year, 2013. I'd killed my bull and I was just running video camera and my buddies and I were just going to day hunt this place. You know how that goes, but air quotes. And we got like four miles in probably. And I hate talking miles, but I just know where we were. And we looked another long ways off the wrong direction from camp. I told my dad when we left that morning, he was camp tender. And I said, Hey, I was like, we'll, we'll be back tonight. We're not going to take too much food, not take any sleep gear. We're just going to roll. And he's like, all right, whatever, you know, well, Turns out we see elk and they're the wrong direction. At dark that night, we end up ten miles away, and we end up staying one night. And one guy ended up hiking completely off the mountain, chasing elk, and was able to get in service and hike down to a road and call people. My other buddy and I stayed up and stayed with the elk that night. And I remember sitting on that ridge looking. I was like, "Predators never quit, guys." I was like, "You never find a dead dead wolf, you know, just from starvation." I was like, "They never quit. Like they'd go get those elk and." We're walking down that ridge. I was following those guys like, I'm going to put that on a hat. So that's the motto I came up with. I drew a logo up for it years ago, and that's kind of stuck. It's been my motto, not just in hunting. I mean, that's life too. Never quit. So that's how I try to do everything. Dude, I enjoyed talking to you. I do hope to meet you in person, maybe break a sweat, do a hunt, eat an elk steak, whatever. But um, when I'm in Wyoming, at some point, I'm going to be near you on my way down. So I'll have to holler at you and see how you're doing. Yeah, so you need to get a hold of me about some sheep hunting. And then any questions you got in Wyoming, man, I'll be glad to help you out. Dude, for sure. All right, stay on the line. Guys, check out Sam. He's the real deal. Enjoyed having you, man. God bless you. Thanks. You too. Welcome to the Two Minute Drill, sponsored by Elk 101. I'm going to sit down and chat with the elk hunting wizard himself, Corey Jacobson, Two minutes on the clock. Hurry up offense style. Corey's going to drop knowledge bombs, and you are going to get better at elk hunting. So without further ado, here's Corey, and here is our topic of the day. All right, Corey. So last episode, you chatted about win basics and covered it pretty well. But what are some things that you do to prevent your scent getting into the nostrils of a bull you're trying to kill? (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know and 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 i think a lot of times we say well we can't control the wind or we can't control the thermals and that's absolutely true 
but there are things we can do to minimize the effects of the thermals, at least the, the negative effects, the consequences of the thermals. And for me, the, the first thing that comes to mind is getting on the same level as the elk. So mm-hmm. rather than approaching them from down below or from up above, if we get side hill to them and we move in uh, at that same level, typically we're going to buy some advantage if the wind does switch because in the mountains, the thermals are either moving down the mountain or up the mountain. Very rarely will they be moving across the mountain. If they are, it's because there's either a storm or there's cloud cover or something causing competing thermals. And if it's moving side hill, I just back out because those winds are swirly and inconsistent and you're just not going to be able to fool the elk's nose. Aside from that, though, if I'm coming in with the thermals moving perpendicular to my approach to the elk, if they switch, it's usually a 180 degree switch. So if I have the thermals moving downhill and I'm at the same level as the elk, as I'm moving across, when they do switch, they're going to blow uphill. And typically that elk's not going to be able to smell me because I'm not below him or above him. I'm, I'm at the same level. So that's one of the huge uh, things that I've found to help counter the effects of thermals if they do switch. The other thing is never take a chance. If that bull is, is down below you 300 yards and your only approach is straight down to him and the thermals are going down, I'll back out and I'll take a two-mile detour, clear around that that ridge or whatever it takes to get to where I'm geographically in an area where I can approach the elk without concern of the thermals. So, you know, using uh, time to make a bigger loop if you need to, always making sure that you're approaching from an angle that's not going to give the elk the advantage with his nose. And then once I get into that, my final approach, I always try to be at the same level as the elk to minimize any kind of swirling or switching in the thermals. Hey elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between. The University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. Guys, this is it. This is what we live for. This is what we train for. This is what we sacrifice for. This is it. September's here. And I just want to keep you fired up to give every day 100% effort. Never settle for 90%. You are not sleeping in. You are not hitting snooze. Your sleeping bag is lying to you. It is time to get up. Get out there in the dark. Turn your headlamp on. Drink some coffee. Go chase some bugles. Put yourself in position every day. Make sure that you are in elk 
every day. Give yourself the best chance to loosen arrow through both lungs of a public land over-the-counter bull, blue-collar style, no ranch, no guide, no landowner tag. Maybe if that's you, that's fine. But the most of us, we're just out there with everybody else, and the competition is fierce. Separate yourself by your effort and your attitude. Hunt hard. Don't squander a second. And message me. Email me your success. Elkshape at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at Elkshape. Check out our YouTube channel. Tell a friend. Share with a buddy this podcast. You can share if you have an iPhone. Just share this episode. And let's reach more people with this powerful platform. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening. Good luck this season. Stay safe. I hope you get a good one. Thank you.